Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Service. We are in the Gospel of Matthew. We have been for three or four months now. We're in the chapter five, so it's gonna, we're going to be there for a while, right? But it's okay because we're in chapter five. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. We started that with the Beatitudes, remember? The Beatitudes, Jesus had gathered a large crowd. They had come in chapter four and basically said they came to Jesus because he was healing them. You know, he, they, people back then, if they, if they fell, if they had a problem, uh, there was no Medicare, there, was no, there were no hospitals, they had to uh, get any help they possibly could. And they came to Jesus and they healed them. And then he gave them this message, what we know as the Beatitudes or the be happy attitudes. Happy are you or blessed are you. And we said that Jesus uniquely took those that were the poor, the poor in spirit, those that were mourning, those that were meek. And he shared the gospel of the kingdom of God with them first. They were the first ones, and this is why they were so blessed. And then, and then last week we talked about how Jesus was raising the bar. And my sermon title was A Matter of the Heart. And we said that Jesus is constantly raising the, the bar because he wants to let us know how important the moral law is. At the same time, what he's telling us is that as important as it is, we're not going to be able to achieve it on our own. That's why Jesus came. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. My message today is, uh, have you heard? And you'll see how it picks up the words of Jesus where Jesus says, you've heard it said. So Jesus, as we go through this, we're finding that, that Jesus is telling us that the spirit of the law, of the moral law, the Ten Commandments as well as the rest of the law, uh, the spirit of the law requires that we pay careful attention to it because even harsh words and anger are inappropriate. They spoil our worship. worship. It, it destroys relationship between our, our fellow man. And its entirety, you know, this Sermon on the Mount is a masterful sermon. Jesus is going to be preaching this through chapter 7. It, it's probably the best sermon we've ever experienced. Again, my message today is, is uh, have you heard? And we're going to pick it up in verse 27 of chapter 5. You can follow along in your bulletins or on the screen. Jesus says, have you heard it said that to, to those of old, you shall not commit adultery? But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Furthermore, Jesus continues, it has been said, whoever divorces his life, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said that, that to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. 
Let your yes be yes and your no, no, for whoever, whatever is more than these is from the evil one. So we're getting today into the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to see this pattern of Jesus that we already picked up a couple weeks ago, that, that Jesus, even when he started with the Beatitudes, he's basically talking about the blessings of God that's afforded through the moral law. And what he's, what he's saying is he's saying that the spirit of the law is much more than the perfunctory uh, performance of the law. He talks about the attitude of our heart, what's truly in our heart. Remember, Jesus also talked that, he said at the end of the Beatitudes that, uh, that they would fall under persecution. People that followed Jesus would be persecuted. They'd, 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 and because of that, many would stumble, many would duck. And he said, don't hide out, be salt and light. You need to stay salty. You need to be the light of the world. So he's encouraging us that not only are we to know the moral law, we're to share the moral law with others, and others will see God through our performance of the law. You know, one of the things is, is as Jesus was raising the bar, we saw that the laws often by the Pharisees, they were looking for ways to get around the law. What, what they could do, and we'll see that today as well. Um, and, but Jesus tries to summarize the law and make it easy for the people to understand. He says this. He says this in, in, the, in the Gospel of John. He says, this is the most important. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Now, the first part of that is what's called the Shema. It was the law, it was the, the saying that the Jewish people had, and they would typically recite it three times a day. That the Lord is, is one, one God, and you're going to love him with all your heart and soul and strength and mind. Jesus, we believe, is the one that added the second, summarizing all of the law the responsibilities to God as well as to our, our fellow man. As I started, as I stated earlier, my message today has a title, Have You Heard? And we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about what Jesus had to say when he said, Have you heard? Have you heard? So, so we're going to begin, and we're going to, we're going to frame it this way. We're going to take with the sayings of Jesus, and we may do this in the future as well, by saying, Have you heard? So we'll say it this way first. Have you heard? that the obedience to the Ten Commandments earns God's favor? It's an interesting question, isn't it? That obedience to the Ten Commandments earns God's favor. It's an interesting question. You know, the Old Testament often speaks of, of God's favor. The Hebrew word for favor, and I don't, I'm not a Jewish scholar, a Hebrew scholar, but it's ratzon. Ratzon, I can use my Strong's Concordance. And I find that ratzon is used 56 times in the Old Testament. The favor of God. It's usually translated as favor, but it's also translated as, as goodwill, acceptance, and God's will. So it depends on the usage. You know, so particularly for the Jews, the multitude and all of the Jews that would be hearing Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, they would be thinking that obedience to the Ten Commandments is how they earn God's favor. And there's a good reason for that. And that's why I said this is an interesting question. For example, in uh, Psalm 90, verse 17... The psalmist says, let the favor of the Lord God, that's Ratzon, let the, the grace of God, the favor of God be upon us and establish the work of our hands and establish the work of our hands. Says it twice. So the idea is the idea of the work of your hands is your, your good works. In, in Proverbs 3, uh, the, 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 uh, Solomon says this. He says, my son, do not forget my teachings. Let your heart keep my commandments. 
Let your heart keep on my commands for length of days and years of life and peace will be added to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your hearts so you will find favor. Ratzon, there's that word. You will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. So we see that God, Jesus is speaking of the law and the people that were hearing it would have thought for sure that the favor of God was earned, merited, through performance of the law. But, but Jesus is going to tell them they're going to be disappointed. You see, Jesus is setting the bar so high that they're going to be disappointed. Jesus says, for example, you've heard it today, and it's your verse in your scripture today, those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus uses these words, have you heard? Have you heard this already said? Of course they heard it because that's what the scribes and the Pharisees said. They would always talk about the law, but then they were always giving us ways to get around the law. Remember you hear a story. You know, Jesus, Jesus was in Jerusalem. Jesus often taught up in Galilee, in the northern part of Israel. But he would come into Israel two or three times a year, at least for performance duties, to go to the, to the temple. And there was one time that he was in Jerusalem, and they brought a woman caught in adultery. Remember that? So they bring him this woman adultery. You can read it in chapter 8 of John. It says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman, but what do you say? You see, they're, they're trying to catch Jesus. They knew that the Romans would not permit a woman to be stoned. They knew that stoning was not permitted. Now, they got around it because they ended up stoning Stephen. But they knew that the Romans would not permit it, so they're testing Jesus. Now, if you remember the story, Jesus doesn't even answer them. He kind of waits them out. He kind of starts riding in the dirt. And one by one, the, the men that bring this woman caught in adultery leave. Now, if you've heard a sermon on this before, one of the questions they say all the time is, if she's caught in the act of adultery, where's the man? Right? <laughs> Where, where's the man? You know, there's, there's, it takes two to tangle. If she's caught in the act, the guy was also caught in the act. Where is the man? And this is what we find is that historians tell us that the law was often prejudiciously applied. It was not applied equally to all people. It was people that they, it was the women often, that were treated unfairly by the law. In fact, the scholars tell us that these, these capital punishments that were afforded by the law were typically uh, dispatched for the enemies of the king, the enemies of the Pharisees, the enemies of those that were in power, they would apply the capital law to. And see, this is one of the reasons why Jesus is redefining the seventh commandment, the, the, the idea of infidelity. Infidelity leads to ruin. It ruins marriages. It ruins children. I mean, instead of having a children having a hospital, a, a, you know, a, a good place to grow up, they 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 grow up in a in a in a broken home. Uh, infidelity leads to divorce, and divorce leads to poverty. And Jesus is reminding them that you you got to be careful. You got to be really careful. There's a reason for the law. So as Jesus raises the bar, he's also telling us how important the law is. So the question is this is does obedience to the Ten Commandments earn God's favor? Well, it's kind of a trick question, but we have the answer, right? Because we are people of the New Covenant. We have the entire Bible. We have the Old Testament. We also have the New Testament. In the New Testament, we know that God's favor, which is called grace, 
is unmerited. It's a gift from God. It's not something that we earn. It's something that God gives us. He gives us his grace. And the reason he gives us his grace is because Jesus is telling us that we will ultimately fail at trying to obey the law. So I guess the answer to the question is, if you can fulfill the law, yes, you will earn God's favor, but the problem is, is that you're unable to earn the law. You are unable to earn God's favor because you will fail at the law. In fact, in the New Testament, those that believe that obedience to the law uh, earns them God's grace is what's called legalism. They're following the law, thinking that the law is what's saving them. The, the law is what's protecting them, but it's, the grace of God is, is unmerited. I, I know this takes a lot to take, uh, there's a lot to take in, but just review, for example, some of the moral law. And we can understand what Jesus is talking about. He says, you know, the law includes honor your mother and father. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't cheat. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet. This is the way that Jesus wants us to fulfill the law. He wants us to understand that the law is important. But here's the more, more important part, is that he will cover us. God covers us with his grace because it's unmerited. Now, it would have been very difficult for the Jewish people to understand that, but we're of the 21st century, and we, have, we are people of the New Covenant, plus we have some contemporary examples. So, for example, how many people know what a participation trophy is? What a participation trophy is? If you have children, okay, if you have children, my, my kids are a little younger than your children, but my, my son, for example, is 41 years old. When he was seven or eight years old, he played all the sports, like my daughter too, too. They, they played basketball, and they played soccer, and they played baseball. Well, kids at six, seven, and eight years old really can't play the game. You know, the kid's out in center field, the ball comes to him, he's picking out daisies and stuff like that. They, they, they don't understand the game, right? They don't understand the game. They, sometimes they don't even bother to keep score in some of these. I, I, I coached soccer, and the kids were just running all over the, the court at any given time. But, but they're participating, right? So at the end of the season, we give them a participation trophy. What a picture of God's grace. You see, the kids are trying. They can't possibly pay baseball and soccer and football like you're supposed to play. They don't even know the rules fully. But we cover them. We give them a participation trophy at the end of the season. Now, let's continue in our, our scripture today. Jesus says this. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. Then he says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. You know, now, Jesus is using a figure of speech. Before you go out and start cutting out your eyes or taking up, <laughs> this, is, this is called hyperbole. It's not a lie. It's not even exaggeration. It's a hyperbole. It's, it's designed to get your attention. To call your attention to what? The seriousness of sin. Jesus is very serious about the law. Jesus isn't easy on the law. He's serious about the law. And he's telling you that, that it's so serious that actually if you could cut off your eye in order to, to not sin anymore, not lust anymore, or cut off your hand in order not to steal anymore, for example, that would be a good thing. But he's using hy hyperbole. You know, often in the scriptures, we, we read something in the scriptures and we want to act on it, but we need to always take it in context. So these verses that Jesus is telling us is in context of the entire Sermon on the Mount. But context is important. So for example, we know, for example, this verse, right? The wages of sin is death. 
We know that, right? The wages of sin is death, but we understand the context because the verse continues. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, this is what the people of, of Israel would soon find out, that the Messiah had come. And even though they were unable to fulfill the law, they were able to un unable to get God's favor from following the law, God would cover them. Eternal life through Jesus Christ. Here's another example. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God is very, very clear. Jesus is very, very clear. This is Paul speaking, by the way. Paul is very, very clear that we fall short. We all sin. None of us can fully comply with the law. But the verse continues. Verse 24 says, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We're justified by His grace. That's the favor of God. It's unmerited. God covers us, just like a participation trophy. Let's continue. Jesus said, have you heard? Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reasons except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Jesus is raising the bar and reminding them what, how Serious divorces, because the Bible tells us, the law tells us, do not commit adultery. Do not commit adultery. And he's saying that actually when you divorce, when you give a right of divorce, and you make it easy for somebody to divorce, and they remarry again, actually, they're committing adultery. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I, I have tremendous empathy for people that get divorced and have to get remarried. I understand that. My daughter went through a, through a horrible divorce. We, we live with that with her. We know what it does to her children. We know what it, what it does to the family. But here in the United States, <laughs> see, see the rabbis were giving out certificates of divorce like they were candy, long before we have what we know as no-fault divorce. Okay. By the way, do you know who started no-fault divorce? What state? California. <laughs> California. Of course, what other state would start it, right? No-fault divorce in 1969. Now, if you read the literature, if you read the Time magazine at the time talking about no-fault divorce, they were all in favor of it. The, the idea was that it wasn't going to increase the frequency of divorce. No, 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 not at all. It was just a more civilized way to have a relationship. Rather than a couple suing each other and getting attorneys, they could just claim that they were no longer compatible and it was called a no-fault divorce, but it, but it wouldn't increase the rate of divorce. That was what was said, okay? Here's the divorce rate, okay? If you see the chart, okay? 1955, 60, in fact, you could all, go all the way back into the 19th century. The divorce rate hadn't changed much at all. Um, it's bouncing around 25%. And then all of a sudden, 1969, the states start adopting no-fault divorce, and it's been hovering between 50 and 55% ever since. So of course it affects the, the rate of divorce. You know, when I was a, a child growing up, there was only one of my friends that their parents were divorced. Only one of my friends. Out of all the kids in school, there was only one couple that was divorced. And again, it's a, it's a horrible thing. And I understand certainly that Sometimes those things are just unavoidable, unavoidable. But Jesus is saying how serious divorce is. It's a, it's, it's a significant, it's a very significant effect on our families. Um, that's why Jesus is saying that, you know, when you divorce and you just give a rid of divorce, uh, you're actually dealing with adultery. You're dealing with infidelity because you're causing that, that 
divorced woman now to marry another and she's committing adultery. Jesus says this. He says, you've heard it said that those who of old, they do not swear falsely, I love this, but you shall perform your oath for the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. You see, Jesus is, is telling them, do not just take an oath. The key here is, he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. What he's saying is, just tell the truth. You see, the only reason we have to say, I swear to God, okay, or we give an oath is because we know that often we tell falsehoods. If we lie all the time, if you can't tell whether a person is actually telling the truth or not, then they have to say, I, I swear to God. Uh, one of the other things they swear to is on my mother's grave. Where did that come from? I swear on my... What does that even mean? I don't even got the slightest idea. But Jesus is saying this. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Okay? The Exodus 20, chapter 16 says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You don't need to take an oath. Just tell the truth. Just tell the truth. Um, we have one more, then we're going to wrap this up. Uh, Jesus says, tell the truth. Let your yes be yes, you do know me no. So I want to go on to this next topic. Remember, it's going to have a little bit of, this is a kind of more of a contemporary version of what Jesus was talking about. And again, it's under my sermon title today, which is, have you heard? Have you heard? So I have this. Have you heard this? Committing your life to Christ makes your life easier. You might have heard that, right? Maybe you've heard a preacher. Maybe, maybe you were in a sermon somewhere in a church and they told you that, you know, come forward, God will make your life easy. <laughs> well, there's a number of things that the scripture says happens to a person when they truly commit their life to Christ. And I'm talking about a true commitment to Christ, not just a name written in a book or somebody that raises their hand and doesn't ever change. I'm talking about a true change when the Holy Spirit comes and quickens you, changes your life, and you start following Jesus Christ. There's, scripture says a number of things happen. For example, one of the things that happens is your sins are forgiven. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, we are, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's one of the things that happens when you come to Christ. Does committing your life to Christ make your life easier? Well, we know that our sins are forgiven. Another thing that happens is that we are justified before God. The Bible says we're justified. Now, justified is just a fancy word. It means not guilty. It's like a judge putting a gavel down and saying, not guilty. You're, you're free to go. That means to be justified. Uh, Romans 10.10 uh, 10 talks about that. Uh, Paul says this in Acts 13. He says, therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man is preached to you, to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, this is Jesus Christ, everyone who believes in him is justified. Declared not guilty. So when you come to Christ, your sins are forgiven. You're justified before God. Another thing that happens in Colossians, it says that we are reconciled to God. We're reconciled to God. Now, I love reconciliation. We see marriages that are reconciled. We see brothers and sisters that are reconciled. I love reconciliation. Um, the Bible says, by the way, that we're given the ministry of reconciliation. That's one of the things we're supposed to be doing. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by your wicked works, now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Paul is saying because of the death of Jesus Christ, you've been reconciled to God and to your fellow man. 
What else does the Bible says when you come to Christ? We become a child of God. In, in John chapter, uh, chapter 1, this is the Gospel of John, I love this. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. We become children of God. And then this I like. We're given eternal life. Eternal life. John chapter 10 says, my, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither, sh neither shall anyone snatch them from my hand. So uh, that that's what, that's what happens when you come to, to Jesus. Now, what doesn't happen <laughs> is our life get, doesn't get easier. It, it, it becomes more fulfilling. It becomes more joyful, absolutely. But is, does it easier? No, not necessarily. Uh, and in some ways, it actually gets more difficult. Jesus already told us that we'll face persecution. He said, they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Now, persecution might be a snide remark. It might mean that you're no longer invited to the lunch table, right? It might mean a number of different things, but you will face persecution, not necessarily easier life. Number, the other thing happens when, when we come to Jesus is you'll face division in your household. Many of you have experienced this. I've talked with some of you. Jesus says, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be those in his own household. Some of you have experienced that when you've come to Christ. We had, I remember my wife and I, both Carol and I, we were the, we were the first ones in our families uh, to really come to Christ. It was during the time of the Jesus Revolution, right? Uh, people were coming to Jesus, and Carol and I were caught up with that too, and the Holy Spirit got a hold of us, and we were the kind of people in a family that nobody wanted to be around, right? Because it was a birthday, we were bringing a Bible and a gospel track. If it was, if it was somebody was calling us, we wanted to tell them about Jesus all the time. It, it, was, it was difficult. Uh, we we ended up having children against us and fathers against us and relatives against us. But praise the Lord. A lot of our family has come to the Lord since then. Uh, but this is one of the things you will, you will find is that you will have fine division. Jesus says you are no longer your own. In fact, Paul said this. He said, um, it is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. He's been crucified with Christ and he no longer lives. This is the process, by the way, of what's called sanctification. Sanctification is basically become more and more like Jesus. You start off just like everybody else, but over time, the more you follow Jesus, the more you become more and more like Jesus. It doesn't necessarily make your life easier, but it's well worth it. Well worth it. Let's go on. Number three, all sincere paths lead to God. Have you heard this? People say this all the time, right? It doesn't matter what religion you are as long as you're sincere. Have you heard that? Okay, all religions are the same. Well, we know. We're New Testament Christians. Uh, we know that that's not true. You know, all the world religions claim to have the answers to life's big problems. They all promise to have answers to the question of, of heaven or hell. They ultimately lead us to God or their, their, their version of God and to some eternal state whether that's called heaven or nirvana or reincarnation or paradise, the three major monotheistic religions are similar, right? You have Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, and they have a lot in common. Uh, they all basically believe in one God. However, that God is not necessarily the same 
in all the religions. Uh, they believe that the world has been created by this one God. However, all religions, including Judaism and Islam, which believe in one God, it's all about what you need to do to have God's favor. Going back to the first question, it's all about what you have to do. You have to sacrifice. You have to obey some rules. You have to be able to do certain things. Christianity is different. It's not about what we have to do. It's what Jesus has already done. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. As a result, we look back to the cross. And that's the justification for our sins. It's Jesus' death on the cross. It's not what I do. In fact, it's not about who I am. It's about whose I am. So Christianity is different than all other religions. In fact, many ways you could say that Christianity is not a religion at all. It's really a relationship of God through Jesus Christ. Jesus, Christianity is also different because Jesus is the only leader of, or founder of any religion that actually claimed to be God and actually raised from the dead. You could go to Israel and actually go to one of the two tombs. There's actually two different tombs. You can go on a tour uh, of where Jesus was buried. But the one thing these two tombs in Israel have in common is Jesus isn't there. They're both empty tombs. No other leader of any religion ever rose from the dead. Uh, Jesus also claims this. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's John 14, 6. Now, you may think that's pretty narrow-minded, right? But that's not us. That's what Jesus has to say. Jesus, who is the creator of the worlds, he's the one in the beginning that spoke life into this world. He's the one that came as a perfect man that died a perfect, uh, that lived a perfect life, that died as the Lamb of God for our sins, that rose on the third day. He's the one that says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one goes to the Father except through me. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Another good reason, the scriptures tell us that Jesus was the second Adam, just as all of the world are Adam's descendants, Adam failed in what Jesus was able to do and live a perfect life. Uh, um, if you thought of it this way, if there was any other way that we could get to heaven, remember the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross. He prayed, he said, Father, if there's any other way Take this cup from me. Jesus knew exactly what was going to come about. He was going to die on the cross. It was a horrible death. And Jesus prayed to the Father, Father, if there's any other way, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus went to the cross. If there was any other way that man could be saved, Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross. So do all sincere paths lead to God? No. Jesus is the way. Others may be sincere, but I would say it this way, that they are sincerely wrong. You can be sincere, but if you're sincerely wrong, it's not going to get you any further. I'm going to end it with this. Um, we talked about the, I talked about the Gospel of John often. You know, John was the disciple that, according to Scripture, says this is the one that Jesus loved. He was one of the inner circle. It was Peter, James, and John. John was probably the youngest of all of the disciples. And he wrote the Gospel of John also wrote 1st and 2nd John and 3rd John. He also wrote the, the book of Revelation. But the Gospel of John is so unique because I've talked to people that have read the Gospel of John in their own language, in German and in French and in Spanish and in English. And it's, it's, the first part of it is, is poetry. It's just amazing what John had to, to say. And I'm going to close with what John says at the very beginning of his Gospel. 
John says this, speaking of Jesus, he says, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I told you before that we are 21st century Christians. We are people of the new covenant. As we go through the Sermon on the Mount, we know something that they didn't know. As Jesus continues to raise the bar, he does two things. One, he shows you the seriousness of the moral law and why the moral law was ever given to the people of Israel. It's so they would have peace with God and peace with each other. They could be reconciled through the law. But at the same time, he keeps on raising the bar, telling us that we can't fully live the life that God expects us to live. But take heart. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the one that wasn't received by his own, but to those who received them, he gave the right to become children of God. Aren't you glad you're a 21st century Christian? Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.